0: Thankful to be able to be here this morning and to preach. Um, This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 100. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 100. All right, Psalm 100. This is this is God's good and holy word. It stands over us. But it's for our good, it's for our benefit, therefore let us give our attention to it. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. This is God's word. Let me pray for us, pray for our time this morning. Let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you again for your word. You tell us that all of scripture is, is God-breathed. That it is useful for us. That it rebukes us, that it corrects us. That it trains us in righteousness. You tell us that this word is about you. That the law and the prophets testify about you. That the Old Testament is about you. That these words that we've just read are about you. And so, King, we pray that you would send your spirit to be here with us this morning. That your spirit would be our teacher. That your spirit would speak mightily in us and through us. Or else these words will mean nothing to us. Or else we'll walk out of these doors having not realized that we've met with the God of all. Or else we'll walk out of these doors as if we did nothing that was significant for this short time that we were here. King, please change us. Please help us to hear your word, we ask in jesus name amen um, of of all of the lessons in grammar or English um, that I remember as being difficult for me in my childhood, one of them was um, the day I learned about imperative sentences um, an imperative sentence um, is a sentence that you are giving a given a command or something to do, and the subject of the sentence is it's implied it's it's you. Um, I remember my teacher teaching us about this and we were sitting in class and she kind of just wrote it on the board. So She's like, imperative sentences. This, this will be really easy for you all. And she wrote on the board the words stand up. And then she said to the class, hey, if I wrote this on the board, stand up, who am I talking to? And the rest of the class was like, oh, that's, that's obvious. You're talking to us. You're telling us to stand up. Now I just can't remember sitting in, in the back of class being like, no, that was not obvious. Um, uh, like, wh- what, are you ta- what are you talking about? Um, wh- wh- what do you mean we are, we mean we're the subject? Um, and I just remember kind of just being mad at the teacher just because I didn't get it. Um, and everybody else just around me just getting it. And, and what I came to realize is, I mean, as the older I get and the more I understand myself, like it's oftentimes the simple, the simple things that I don't get. The complex things that I'll pick up on, if you tell me, like, hey, Roy, to get to a from here, if you turn left on Oakwood and left on Meridian and go about two miles, I will probably still get lost. And people always say things like, oh, you know, you just go down Meridian, you can't miss it. Whenever somebody says that to me, like, you can't miss it, I always miss it. Like, always, I promise you, don't use those words. Like, you can't miss it. It'll be right on your right. I always miss it, y'all. I'm serious. Um, but one of the things that that lesson taught me was... Um, not only that I had problems with like understanding imperative, imperative sentences, but I also had trouble like wanting to always, you know, kind of buck authority. Um, That when somebody told me to do something, that my natural kind of inclination was to go, no, I'm not doing that. Um, So if somebody were to say stand up, you know, I wouldn't want to stand up. Or if somebody were to tell me, hey, don't do this, my natural inclination would be, why not? Why, do, why don't you want me to do this? Why do you want me to do this that you're telling me to do? So for example, you guys know when you get like new shoes, new dress shoes, there'll be these little packets on them, silica packets. What do they say? Do not eat. Now, now let me tell you, like, I would never think it about, I would never think about eating this packet. But since they put do not eat on this packet, like, something about me just wants to kind of rip into it with my teeth and just like, devour it. Why? Like, I would never think of eating this packet, but since you told me to not eat this, everything in me wants to do that. Everything in me wants to rebel against the authority over me. Um, And even though I know it'll kill you if you eat this, Roy, like, it's not good for you, there's still something in me that wants to go, no, I'm going to eat this packet. Um, But One of the things that, that, that has caused me to realize is that this is not just the, you know, this is not just the freak accident thing that happens to me, but it's a natural tendency of our sinful nature. That when God tells us to do something, that when God gives us commands, that when God gives us laws, that naturally we go, why would God say that? And when God says, you shall not murder, or you shall not commit adultery, or you shall not steal, that naturally we go, okay, this is, God is withholding something from me. Which, you know, when we come to psalms like this one, and this psalm doesn't care who you are, it just starts to tell you to do stuff. Like, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. We are the subjects. We are the people who are, it's implied of us that we will make a joyful noise to the Lord, or Serve the Lord with gladness. Or whatever it is that we're called to do in the psalm. That one of the things you see is that the Bible over and over and over again tells us to do stuff. That it calls us to be a certain way. That it calls us as God's people to live a certain way. And I think the reason why the Bible repeats itself so much and so often is because we forget. We forget who God is. We forget that he's good. We forget what he's done for us over and over again. And we need to be reminded by the people of God, even as we see in this psalm, that no, he really is good. That he really does deserve our worship. That he really does deserve our honor. And so again and again, it's it's kind of like we have to teach ourselves, okay, why am I serving God again? Why do I love the Lord again? Oh, it's because of this. And we have to recount again and again, over and over again, why it is that we worship God. And how it is that we worship God. And who is this God? And so this psalm, it's it's five verses. I mean, there's nothing complex about it. You saw it. It says the same thing. That it's telling you who God is. It's telling you why it is and how it is you ought to worship him. verses 1 through 3, and then in 4 and 5, it does the same thing over again. And I know sometimes you read your Bibles and you go like, why do they keep saying the same thing over and over again? It's because of this, that because of our sinful nature, y'all, we forget that God is good to us. That your situation, that the way that you are, is no different from these Jews of old, the people of God of old, that they needed to be reminded week in and week out that when they came to worship God, when they came into his presence, that it wasn't just, you know, oh, this is just what we do. But it was like, you are meeting with God. Do you realize what that means? That you are God's people. Do you realize what that means? That you should be happy. That you should be joyful. That you should realize that you are privileged. That you should realize that you are God's treasured people, treasured possession. You are his, you are, you are greatly blessed. And so for our time this morning, I just want to kind of walk us through this psalm to show how it is that God is trying to communicate to us through his word that he is worthy of our praise, that he is worthy of our worship, that he is worthy of us being grateful and us giving thanks to him. And it's, verses 1 through 3 says make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth serve the Lord with gladness come into his presence with singing know that the Lord he is God it is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture Um. in verse 3 in your Bibles I think most of your Bibles do this but the word Lord it'll be in all caps even though the word is kind of small and, and scrunched or whatever Um, What that means is it is the covenant name of God that God's people knew him as, Yahweh. And that privilege that these people had was one that nobody else in the world had. That God, when he drew near to this people, that he was saying, you know something about me that the rest of the world does not know about me. That the rest of the world worships false gods, that the rest of the world worships creation. But you know my covenant name you know my covenant faithfulness. And if you start with the story of how God redeems his people from Genesis all the way up until this point, that one of the things that that God shows is that he has chosen a people out of this world to be a light to the rest of the world. And then you see that even as the psalm begins, that God's intention from the very beginning was never to just stay with the Jews, that it was always meant to go out to the world. That God was gathering in a people from all over, a people from the north, from the south, from the east and the west. And the Jews were supposed to be his witnesses to the nations. But one of the things that happens is that these people lose their way. These people forget how great this God is. These people get self-absorbed. These people worship themselves. These people worship false gods and it ends up with them being in exile. And one of the things that God is trying to draw us back to is to the fact that when these people came together, God was in their midst. The one God who created everything. He was the God saying, I'm your God and you are my people, and I love you. I'm your God, and you are my people, and it is not on the basis of anything that you've done, but because I set my love upon you. Now, think about this. When God starts with Abraham, do y'all know where Abraham was from? He's from a pagan land that worships the moon, that worships the stars, that worships creation. And in Genesis 12, God comes to him and says, listen, go from your country and go to the place that I'm going to show you and I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing to the nations. That God starts with this man who does, who's not even thinking about him and says, I'm going to set my love upon you and you're going to be my witness to the rest of the world. And through you, all the families of the earth, they're going to be blessed. And in this psalm, you didn't, I mean, I know you saw it, but it starts with saying, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, meaning that God's intention was to bring everybody in. That all who would bow before him and worship him, that God was calling them to himself. Now, how does that relate to us? That when you think about this God, this God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's not changed That you and I are children of Abraham, the New Testament tells us. That we are the children of faith if we have trusted in Christ. But not only that, God is still calling a people to himself. And so what that means for you this morning is if you're not a Christian, guess what? This God wants to be in relation with you. This God is making himself available to you. This God is saying, yes, You too, come to me. And this is the blessing. That you know the true God, the God of all, is very interested in you. And he loves you. And how do we know he loves us? He gave his son. That he did not spare his son for me. Because he loved me, he did not spare Jesus. He crushed his son so that I might be right with him. That if you are in Christ, what it means is that Jesus died for you. He crushed Jesus so you can be his child. And you've heard Alex say this over and over again. That God sent his son behind enemy lines. Not for his friends, for his enemies. None of us were seeking God, Romans 3 says. None of us were those who were seeking God and... God comes to us and says. It is by my grace and it is by my mercy. That I will be compassionate to this people and I will be merciful to this people. So that as you are hearing this word that God is saying, yes, you, you can come to me, too. Regardless of what your sins are. That that's why Jesus came to die for your sins. That you can know that I am God. That you can know. Me, the covenant making and covenant keeping God. That my grace is for you and it is sufficient. Then Mark Twain says this about heaven. He says that heaven, it goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. <laughs> Let me read that to you again. Heaven, go, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. That's powerful. Now, what he is saying that for all of us in this room who have trusted in Christ, it wasn't because we were good people. It wasn't because we did everything right. If you say you did, you're lying. It wasn't because we were numerous or it wasn't because we were mighty or it wasn't because we had something that God needed from us. He does not need us. But it was because of God's grace to us, God's favor to us in Jesus Christ, that you and I can know that we are right with God, that you and I can know that we are in fellowship with God. That it is he who made us and we are his and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That it could be speaking about the fact that God made us and created us. But what it's probably saying is that God is the one Who chose us and brought us to himself and loved us. And if you have trusted in Christ, that is you. That you are his. That you are the sheep of his pasture. And Jesus shows us what type of shepherd he is. That he lays down his life for his sheep. And he doesn't run when the wolves come, but he lays down his life for his sheep. That there's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. That his sheep hear his voice and they come to him. And nobody can snatch him out of his hand. That what Jesus is saying is, oh, there's no way you're going to touch this people. You can hurt their bodies. You can destroy their bodies, sure. But you will not undo what I've done for them. You will not draw a line between God's love for them and you know, where they are now. You, you, just, you just won't. And so what it is saying is that this is the reason why you do the things you are called to do in this, in this psalm. That this whole worship service has been about getting us to remember how good it is God is to us. That you make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, because of what Jesus has done. That you serve the Lord with gladness because of what Jesus has done. And you're not, you don't come in and fake it. You don't come in and smile because, oh, well, we're in the church, we're supposed to be happy. Um, No, Jesus really has done something in my life. I can really, I know joy. I really know happiness. I really know what it's like to be at peace with God. And so regardless of what people think about me or regardless of what's going on in my personal life, I know that I am at peace with God and he will make this right. That you can come into his presence with singing because of what Christ has done for you. That you can come singing hymns because of what Jesus has done for you. And that is our testimony. C.S. Lewis, um, in talking about just how how it is that we, uh, when we come to worship things, you know what, or when we come to get enjoyment out of things or to worship things, um, one of the things that we often have to do is, you know, we often find ourselves praising it first, um, and then it's the case that we we come to worship it. And this is what I mean, like. For, for something, whatever it is that you like, you know, like, let's say, Georgia football, or the Saints, um, or Alabama, or or whatever it is, that what usually makes you worship it is when you, you look at it and you go, wow, that's amazing. And your enjoyment of it makes you want to go and talk about it with other people. Like, did you see that catch he made, or did you see you know, this dress she had on, you know, it, it's, it, it excites you. And C.S. Lewis kind of talking about this. He says, the most obvious fact about praise is whether of God or anything, it strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And this is what he means. He says, the world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, Romeo. I mean, he's talking about Romeo Romeo praising Juliet, readers their favorite poet, Um, walkers praising in the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Um, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value so so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. And this is what he says. He says He says to people, you know, isn't she lovely? Or wasn't it glorious? Or don't you think that magnificent? And he says, the psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing, about everything else we value. And this is his point. He's saying when you enjoy something, that it always overflows into praise. That when this psalmist tells you to make a joyful noise to the Lord, that it's something that overflows from the fact of you being happy in God, of you being joyful for what God has done for you, so that when you're called to sing about God's goodness to you, it's like, oh, that's, I mean, I always do that. That you guys have met people who come to you and say, man, isn't God good? Isn't he awesome? And that's what he's trying to communicate. That this is what you do all the time anyway. Why not do it about something that matters? The God of all who came for sinners. The God of all who is restoring this world. The God of all who is redeeming everything that's broken by the curse. And then in 4 and 5, again, it's a call again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so, there it is again, saying, look, this is really is amazing. Um, there's a, a comedian um, named Louis C.K. He was on a uh, talk, I can't remember which late night talk show recently, um, but he's talking about like, just how ungrateful our generation is. Uh, he's talking about like this being a time where everything is amazing and nobody's happy. And he starts he start saying by saying like like when I was a kid, we had rotary phones. And so like if you guys remember rotary phones, you know, when you did a zero, like you had to wait till it went all the way back. Like, <laughs> like he talked about like you hated people who had two zeros in their number because <laughs> like you you have to wait till it goes all the way back around and and now we can just go do 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 you know, and just plug in numbers. But he's just saying like everything is amazing, nobody's happy. Um, and he used that example, then he used the example of flying, and he said uh, he talked about a guy who got on his airplane, and um, you know they, they let him know like this new this is the newest thing, they let him know that now on this airplane you can have internet. There's internet Wi-Fi on the, on the plane, um, and you know so people are flying on the plane, they're using the internet, and the, the internet goes out, and the, you know the flight attendant's like, hey, you know we're experiencing technical difficulties, and the guy next to him just kind of goes, see, I knew it. This is, you know, this is. This is messed up, you know. Like, and it's just like ten minutes ago. You didn't even know this existed. Like, <laughs> like, wh- like, why do you feel like this is owed to you? Um, like, you know. And then he talked about just flying, like the fact that we can fly. And he just said, like, you know, like for you to fly from I can't remember. I think it was Florida to Oregon, like, or for you to get from Florida to Oregon, like in years past, like you would have, it would have taken you like three months, and some of you would have died, you know, like. <laughs> And now you can just get on a plane and fly, but yet we complain about a 20-minute layover. Like, you know, like, just, and he's just kind of showing us, like, 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 look at, look at what you have. Like, this is amazing, and yet you grumble about what's wrong. And in the same way, like, this psalmist is trying to get us to see that. Like, people of God, God really is Amazing. That when you come here and gather together, that it's not about the building, it's about the people of God being together to worship God. That is a big deal. That you can come into the presence of God, you, a sinful person, and be in fellowship and communion with the holy God who made everything. And not only that, this God is actually interested in you. And this God, not only that, he actually loves you. Like, that is amazing. And yet, what we find ourselves doing is we grumble. And we complain about what we don't have. We have so much. And this psalmist is saying, listen, when you come into the presence of God, come with thanksgiving. Come thanking him for what he's done. Bless his name. Give thanks to him. Because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. There is nothing—I'm I'm convinced of it. There is nothing in this life that truly captures the steadfast love of God. There are a few things that get close to it. You know, like marriage—a you know, husband and wife loving each other despite all their flaws, despite of all their you know shortcomings. That's probably the closest thing in this life that we get. But when the Bible talks about steadfast love, it talks about the love of God that just does not quit. That it pursues us. That theologians of old would talk about, you know, God being the hound of heaven, meaning he's coming for us. The people that he loves, he will not let them go. That he will pursue them until they come to a point where they go. I will love this God. I will worship this God because he goes to great lengths for me. The greatest example of that is Christ. That God gives his son for us. And that is amazing. His steadfast love endures forever. That your right standing with God is rooted in Christ that you can actually say you are a son or a daughter of God because of Christ. Without hesitation, without doubt, regardless of what you've done, you can say that without a blink of eye and know, by faith in God's word, this is what it says about me. You can say what you want about me, but the word of God says this about me, that I'm a child of God. And that is amazing. His steadfast love endures forever. And it's faithfulness to generations. And I just close with that point, with the faithfulness to generations. Um, I mean, I know, like, everybody here didn't grow up in Presbyterian churches. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I think most of you guys were here a few a month ago, maybe, you know, you saw us baptize our youngest child. I know, I mean, I didn't grow up in a Presbyterian church, so, like, baptizing the baby, like, what? She's like, what are you doing? Um, like, that, that's, like, It's weird. Um, but but this is why this is why we do this. We believe this God not only is good to us, but He's good to our children. Like this God, I mean, even if you think about Abraham, you think about the covenant and circumcision. You go to the New Testament, you see households being baptized. That this God is interested in what happens not only to us but to our children. That what is implied is that if we really get what God has done for us in Christ, then of course you will tell your children about Jesus. Then of course you will try to push them towards the gospel. Then of course you will try to raise them in the fear of admonition of the Lord because this God, he is good. And So when we baptize our children, we're not saying that they're saved. We're saying we trust in God's word that he makes covenants with families, that he pursues not only us, but he pursues our children as well. And he loves them. Like, not, he, he, he's, they're not just second string, like, oh, well, I like you a little bit. Um, like, he loves our children. And so I long for the day when my daughter says to me and my son say to me, Dad, I I believe in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus. I want to go before the elders of the church and make a profession of faith. I long for that day because what it will show me is that this word is true, that its faithfulness goes to our children. It goes to generations. And this people of God knew this, that they saw this in and out, day in and day out, that their children would come of age and profess faith in the true God, the Holy One of Israel. And that same God is our God, calling us again to remember that he is good, to remember all that he's done for us, and to remember who it is that we serve. Let's pray. Um, our God and Father, we do thank you uh, for the depth of your love for us. Uh, We confess the many ways that we come uh, into your presence grumbling or preoccupied with um, other things rather than you. Uh, We ask forgiveness. We ask your grace. We ask your mercy. Uh, We ask that you would be gracious to us, um, even in our sin, even in spite of our sin. Would you help us to take hold of the joy we have in Jesus? To take hold of the great gift it is to be a child of the eternal God. And not only that, but to know that this God is our father and he is intimately concerned with what goes on in our lives. That he takes care of us, that he is our shepherd. Um, that he continues to draw people to himself. Um, and I pray for those who may be here this morning who do not know you. I pray, Lord, that they would, they would see that you love them. They would see that you came for sinners, not the righteous. That you came for people who are sick and need a physician. And you are that physician, Jesus. Jesus. I just pray for us for this new year that we wouldn't forget um, who we are in Christ. uh, That you would give us joy. um, That you would give us grace to endure whatever ills may befall us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.